I'm so glad to see you this morning. And I'm glad we can take a few moments and look and see what the Bible says. You know, everybody needs a good Bible. If you don't have a good Bible, you ought to do what you can to get a good Bible. Because the Bible is God's love letter to you. It's, it's how God feels about himself and how he feels about you. And uh, many people struggle to live a successful Christian life because of faith. They don't have faith. Now, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's why Satan, whenever he works in your life and in society, he attacks us with three major uh, ammunitions. One is fear. He wants you to be afraid. When you have a spirit of fear, it doesn't come from God. God gives us confidence, not because of who we are, but who's with us. The second thing that Satan uses is doubt. He wants you to doubt what God says. You know, it's interesting. God says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything you know, God created. But yet many of us think, oh, no, no, no. I think we evolved from monkeys and amoebas and all that stuff. And that's, a, that's, not, that's not true. But any, he's a great perverter. Anything that's good and right, Satan wants to challenge with doubt and fear. He loves those things. He loves those things. And wherever God puts a period, Satan wants to put a question mark. He wants you to not think he's good and that he loves you and he cares about you. But God's word, that's why you need to have a relationship with the Bible. I'm glad when you come to church, and I hope to, to do my best every week and to spend hours in prayer and preparation on a weekly basis preparing for these moments we can be together on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and midweek service. But the truth of the matter is, there is just not a pastor, and I'm, I'm the least of pastors, but there's not a pastor uh, in the world that can feed you the faith that you need. Just like Jesus said, give us this day our... You need to every day get into the Scriptures. Read them for yourselves. Let them be a shower over your dirty soul and wash away things that are questionable. Let it be something to build your faith. Building blocks will help you be strong. Now, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And then Satan loves to use discouragement. Oh, he wants to keep you discouraged. And that is not what God wants. God doesn't want you to have doubt and fear and discouragement. And uh, really, it's not wrong to be discouraged. It's wrong to stay that way. Because God loves you and he has a plan for you and his word reveals that. Now we're talking about future events in this month. And tonight's service is the last uh, service that we have in the month of October. So I'm going to share a little bit more about that. But you know, future events and the coming of Jesus Christ in the book of Titus, the blessed hope is so important. And it's important for many reasons. Number one, it's important because Jesus coming again fulfills the scripture for us. Uh, it, God predicted he would come all through the Bible. Um, number two, it would fulfill the, the, the claims of Jesus himself. He says, if I go, I will come again and receive you into myself. That where I am, there you can be also. Whenever we think about the coming of Christ, it, 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 it says, it validates what Jesus said. It completes our salvation. I don't know about you, but I am, uh, I'm grateful to be saved now, but, but I, am, uh, I am constantly uh, anticipating the coming of the Lord. When I got saved, I got saved from hell, 
I got the Holy Spirit inside of me, but I didn't get rid of my old sin nature. Did you get rid of your old sin nature? No. But salvation, uh, his coming again, will change this vile body into a glorified body, a body who doesn't want to sin, that doesn't want to look at something I shouldn't look at or listen to something I shouldn't listen to, that doesn't want to, to do wrong things or lose my temper. Oh, I'm looking forward to that because it is coming. That can take place. You know, when he comes back, he will justify all the people of faith in him throughout the ages. You know, people have been martyred for Christ. They have been burned at the stake. They have watched their children snatched out of their arms and sawed and sunder and thrown into fires, all because of no other reason but they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. His coming will validate and justify their faith in the Lord. His coming will defeat Satan. The Bible says the God of this world is very alive and well today. And you can just casually look across society and you can see that Satan is at work. But he will one day be defeated because of the coming of Christ. I am so grateful for that. You know, it's also a time in which we can anticipate a successful, a sincere, and a perfect form of government. You know, governments of man are just that. They're just man-made. And anywhere man's involved, sin is also involved. Corruption. It doesn't matter if you're in Haiti or the United States of America. It doesn't matter if you're in Ukraine or in Israel. Corruption is a reality whenever men are in charge. But one day there will be a perfect government. When Jesus will sit on the throne and it will be a successful and perfect form of government. But I love this because not only when the Lord comes back is there eternal hope. Matter of fact, that's how God, God doesn't say the rapture of the church. We use that word. It means to be caught up. He calls it the blessed hope. The blessed hope, the anticipation of the coming of Christ. And hope is not like, I hope I'm going to have filet mignon this afternoon. (laughs) I hope it doesn't rain on my picnic. It might or it might not. But hope in the Bible is a guarantee based upon God's word. And since God says he's coming back, guess what? I have a blessed hope because of that. Well, Luke chapter 20, I want to go there, and this has happened on the first coming. And remember, the next thing on God's agenda is he's coming and sending his son again. He comes three times. He comes uh, to his own, and his own receive him not, but he pays for sin on the first time that he comes to the earth. This next time he comes, he hasn't come yet, but he's coming for his own. That's when he will take us to be with him. The third time he comes is seven years later, and that he's coming for, uh, coming with his own. He's coming with us. And that's an exciting time. Then really, from then on, uh, certainly there's a lot of great things planned for people who've been faithful to the Lord. And I want to be in that group, and you do too. But Luke chapter 20, Jesus has cleansed the temple. It's in the last week of his life. And uh, he's already gotten on the little donkey and ridden through the streets and people have put palm branches down and their clothes down and let the donkey walk on top of it. And they have sing Hosanna in the highest to him. And he has cleansed the temple, which really got a lot of people upset. And those who loved him realized, hey, you know, this might be the Messiah. Now he is being accosted by people that uh, have had their, their feathers ruffled by him. Let's look at chapter 20, verse number 1. The Bible says, And it came to pass that on one of these days, as he taught to his people in the temple, 
and preach the gospel. By the way, everyone in this room, if you're saved, you ought to get the gospel to somebody. And the chief priests and the scribes came upon him with the elders. So now he is preaching, and they interrupt his message with the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, a whole delegation of people coming to him. And he spake unto them, saying, and they spake unto him, saying, Tell us, of what authority dost thou do these things? Who gave thee this authority? So now he's preaching in the temple. He's, lots of people are listening to him. And he gets a delegation, and everybody knew who they were. These were the priests. They, had the, they, were, the, they were the religious leaders of the day. They were the scribes, and they're the ones who, who are definitely uh, the leaders of, the, of the, the Jewish community at the same time. They hated Jesus. And they were asking questions, trying to find a way that they can have him exterminated, gotten rid of. But they come to him and say, look here, whose authority are you coming into this temple and preaching? By the way, he's only 33 years old. How many of you are older than 33 years old? And you can lift your hand and verify that. Okay, yeah. How many of you are younger than 33 years old? All right, bunch of jerks. No, I'm just joking. <clears throat> I wish I were younger than 33, but I'm not. I'm old and aging fast. Nonetheless, uh, Jesus is 33 years old. He is preaching. They cannot resist his words. And they come in, they interrupt him, and they said, By whose authority are you coming in here and cleansing the temple? They wanted to say, I'm the Son of God. I'm the Messiah. They really want him to come out with that because then they can, they can turn their, 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 their judgment upon him. But he says to them something very unique. And by the way, there's a good thing we can learn about Jesus in this. While he's preaching, notice this. Whenever you're getting the gospel out, where there's movement, there will be some demonic friction. Whenever there's things you're doing, if you're trying to give to the Lord, you're trying to be a soul winner, you're trying to live a holy life, you can expect opposition. We call it negative demonic confirmation. And that happened here. Here he is in the middle of doing nothing but doing good and teaching the gospel of Christ. How many are glad for the gospel that Jesus died? He was buried and rose again. That's a good thing to hear. Hey, what authority are you bringing this to us? And notice what he does, if you would please, in verse number three. And he answered and said unto them, I will also ask you one thing, and you answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? He said, okay, you want to know what authority I'm, ask, I'm come from? Let me ask you, was the baptism of John, John the Baptist, who was eventually beheaded by Herod, was his baptism of God or was it of man? Was he, was he from the Lord, or was he just another man just making up stuff? Well, they, he, had him in, he had him in a pickle there. Notice what the Bible says. Let's look at the Scriptures. And the Bible says this, and they reason with themselves, saying, if we say he's from heaven, he will say, why didn't, didn't you believe him not? Why didn't you believe him? If, if we say that he was from God, then he'll say to us, why didn't you trust him? Why didn't you believe him? Why didn't you follow him? Why did you give him such a problem? And then he says, but if we say of men, then all the people here will stone us. For they believe and persuade that John was a prophet. By the way, he was a prophet. He was from God. So they, they're in a pickle there. They're saying, well, we don't know what to say. It looks like they're almost like the team is in the huddle and the captain raises his head, you know. Like, hey, man, if we say this, well, I know. I don't know. 
So here's what they do, if you would please, in verse number six and verse seven, and they answered, we cannot tell whence it was. Well, that was pretty embarrassing for them, and it was pretty uh, uh, cowardly of them. They knew the answer from their perspective. They didn't believe it was from God. They rejected God, but they weren't willing to say it. So they said, we cannot tell you where this authority that he had came from. And then notice verse number eight. And Jesus said unto them, neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. He said, well, I guess if you don't answer my question, I'm not answering your question. Pretty, pretty shrewd, huh? Look on, if you would please, in verse number nine, he began to speak into the people a parable. A parable is an earthly story that has a deep spiritual meaning. That's kind of what the parable is. So we look, look at verse number nine. A certain man planted a vineyard and led, it, and led it forth to the husbandman and went into a far country for a long time. And as a season he went as a servant to the, I'm sorry, and at a season he sent a servant to the husbandman that he should give him the fruit of the vineyard and the husbandman beat him and sent him away empty. And again, he sent another servant and they beat him also and entreated him shamefully, and sent them away empty. And again he sent the third, and they wounded him also, and cast him out. Then said the Lord of the vineyard, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. It may be that they will reverence him when they see him. And when the husbandmen saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. What therefore shall the Lord of the vineyard do unto them? Verse number 16, read out loud with me, would you please? He shall come and destroy and shall give the vineyard to others. And when they had heard it, verse 17 and 18, follow along with me if you would please. And he beheld them and said, what is, what this then is written? It's Psalms 118, verse number 22, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. And whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. But in, on whomsoever it shall fall, it shall it grind him to powder. Well, let's just out now. So Jesus now says, I'm not going to answer your question if you don't answer mine. But he said, let me tell you a story. There's a story of a man who is, owns a vineyard. And he has put a man in charge of that vineyard. And he is going to a far country for a long journey. But when it comes to the fall of the year and the harvest is full and the vineyard and the grapes are there and the things that are planted in that vineyard are ripe, he sends a servant to go and get, the, get some of the fruit from that vineyard. And the husband sees the servant come. He says, I'm here with the boss. And he's asked me to take some of the, the fruit back to him. And they beat that servant. And they crippled him and sent him away with nothing. And he did it again and did it again. And the last thing he did is he sent his own son. He said, man, they, they beat up all my servants and, and not given them any, any fruit. I'll send my son. I'm sure they'll reverence him. But instead, they reasoned among themselves, how can we kill him? So that we can make our own decisions and we can have that vineyard ourselves. And they killed him. And then uh, they said, you know what? This is what's going to happen. And, and of course, the, 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 the symbolism is God, the, God and the nation of Israel. And of course, once again, they, he has gotten a visit by the high priest, by the priest, by the scribes, by the elders of the people. 
They have come and interrupted his preaching. So he says, let me tell you the story. He tells the story. Well, they were tracking with him. They knew that indirectly he was talking with them because God gave the responsibility to Israel and he wanted fruit from Israel. And he sent prophet after prophet after prophet, even John the Baptist, the last one. And they didn't listen to him. They wounded him and they kicked him out. And now he has sent Jesus, his son, to confirm that he is from God. And they're now reasoning to kill him. They knew they had been doing that. And he just like read, the, read their newspaper, knew exactly what they were doing. And then he says, you know what's going to happen? The husband is going to come back. I'm, excuse me, the, the Lord is going to come back. And he's going to deal with the husband. He's going to take him away and replace him with another. That really meant the Gentile people. Titus, who would come aside, they say that he killed over one million Jews. I'm sad for anyone who gets killed. But one million, one hundred Jews were killed by Titus in A.D. 70. It's an unbelievable massacre. Of course, the Holocaust was awful. What's going now is awful. But he said, he's going to give it to another. And boy, they quickly said, God forbid. It's interesting, that, that comment is only made one time in the gospel. It's made ten times by in the Pauline epistles or the epistles that Paul wrote. And it was like, no, that can't happen. Don't let that happen. He's going to take this and he's going to send it. He's going to send, give, give the control to another. And I think he's talking to the Gentile church in this time and to the unsaved world and, and generally of, of the nation of Israel. They said, God forbid. And then he quotes to them Psalms 118, verse 22. And he says, there is a cornerstone that, that everything is built by. If you were going to build a house, you want to dig the footers and you want to put a cornerstone. You want to put something that will make the house be square and be stable. He said, that cornerstone is vital and important. By the way, everyone needs that cornerstone in your life. And that cornerstone is Jesus. He said, you're trying to build a kingdom without the cornerstone of Christ. And he said... I predicted this in Psalms 118, verse 22, that the cornerstone that the builders rejected, they said, no, we're going to do this without Christ. He said, whenever it comes time, anyone who falls on that cornerstone will be broken. And anyone that the cornerstone falls on will be smashed to powder. And they reason themselves, you know what? We're connecting the dots. He's talking about him being the cornerstone. By the way, is Jesus the cornerstone? And boy, you don't want to, your arms are too short to box with Jesus. And don't live life without him. Nothing more frustrating than to try to live the Christian life without Christ. And this is what they were doing. They were trying to establish a kingdom without the king. They were trying to establish a life without the foundation of Jesus Christ. And boy, when I look at this, I say, man, get them, Jesus. You're doing good. You're showing them. But then I have to consider, what about you, John? How many times do you reference Jesus in a day? How many times do you come across the mindset? Today, we had the Lord's Supper, and some of you still did not think about Jesus. You thought about the ritual. You thought about how, how the bread tasted how the juice was, how they organized all this. But you didn't think about Jesus. And tomorrow, we'll oftentimes go and we'll text a thousand texts this week and not put J-E-S-U-S. -S. 
not put C-H-R-I-S-T. We'll say hundreds of thousands of words in the next week. How many times will you say the name of Jesus and Christ and the Lord and God in a reverential way? Listen, we need, we need a revival of making sure that Jesus is the cornerstone. Everything is about him. You know, why do we go soul winning? Because of Jesus. Why do we give this morning in a few moments in the offering? Because of Jesus. Why do we come here today? Because of Jesus. If you came for anything less than that, you are aiming way too low. Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ. He said, when Christ, who's my life, I think about him all the time. I challenge you, read four or five verses of the Apostle Paul and see if he doesn't mention the Lord or God or Jesus Christ with regularity. Someone said, you talk about things you love, John. That's why you sometimes don't talk about Jesus. Well, if you love the Bears, you talk about the Bears. If you love the Cubs, you talk about the Cubs. You love sports, talk about sports. You love hunting, you talk about hunting. You love grandkids, you talk about grandkids. You love your house, you talk about house. You love gardening, you talk about gardening. You love Jesus, we talk about Jesus. And oftentimes, we just do not reference him. And these wicked, vile men who had a form of, of godliness but denied the power because they, rec- they didn't recognize Jesus. And I'm against them. And I'm glad Jesus dealt with them. But once you let Jesus deal with you, once you let Jesus deal with me, I want to encourage you to get a revival of the person of Jesus. Before I close this morning, I wonder if there's anyone in here this morning and you're saying, Pastor, yeah, I I agree about that Jesus part. That's good. But you're not sure if you were to die, you'd go to heaven. You're not sure your sin's forgiven. You're not sure that if you died, you would instantly wake up in the presence of Jesus. If that's you this morning, you're in a good place. Because in just a few moments, we're going to sing a song. And when we do, some people are going to come and ask God to refresh their heart for the Lord Jesus Christ. Some will come who got saved recently, and they're going to get baptized today, and they're going to come and get baptized. But maybe you should come and say, would someone take the Bible and show me how I can have eternal life through Jesus? Show me how I can have everlasting life. Listen, the best day of my life, I was sitting in the right side of an auditorium. It was much smaller than this auditorium. But there were just two sections, and I was sitting in the back, middle, right. And the pastor asked me, John, do you know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven? And I didn't know. But then, he said, if you want to know, could someone show you from the Bible how you could know? That was the best day of my life. When I humbled myself and I let someone take the Bible and show me how I could have eternal life with Jesus how I could have my filthy sin forgiven, how I could have uh, peace that comes from Christ. If you're like that today, I want to encourage you, as soon as we sing the first note on the song, as you hear that, and that lady plays the first note on the piano, would you come and let someone take the Bible and show you how to be saved?